Hello there, and uh, welcome to uh, Epping Presbyterian Church. Uh, my name is Josh Ling, uh, and it's my privilege to welcome you uh, to this sermon podcast. What an interesting time we're living uh, in at the moment. Uh, instead of greeting you in person in church this Sunday, I'm extending a virtual welcome to all of you. Uh, thank you for joining us today if you are a regular member of Epping Presbyterian. But today, it is also possible that you are joining us digitally for the first time as well. If that is the case, I want to extend a very special welcome to you. I believe that because of what is happening around us, people have lots of needs, especially spiritual ones. The church is here for you. Unfortunately, because of COVID-19, we are unable to gather in large meetings at the moment. But we would still love to speak with you over the phone or talk with you in person. We can continue to maintain appropriate social distancing. I believe at the moment the rule is 2 meter by 2 meter each side. We can do that. There is plenty of space in our church for that. Epping Presbyterian Church is also still open on Sunday. The staff are around if any of you want to meet us and share with us your story. Our contact details are on the website or drop us a message on our Facebook page. And let us know if there is anything the church can do for you to help you cope with the disruption caused by COVID-19. That said, I'm going to lead us in prayer uh, and then we're going to have the Bible read for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us as your people to gather around your word. Please bless our time together and speak to us through your Holy Scripture. There is an urgent message of repentance and hope that is needed to be shared with our broken world. Help me to share this with clarity and with compassion. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our Bible passage today is from Revelation chapter 7. I'm reading from the New International Version. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees, until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. If you have your Bible uh, still open, I'd like you to keep it at Revelation chapter 6 and 7. Uh, we will be looking at both chapters of this book today. Uh, it is quite a long passage, so let me give you a quick outline of chapter 6 and chapter 7. Uh, previously in our study of the book of Revelation, we saw the crisis in the heavenly court back in chapter 5. There was no one in heaven or on earth who was worthy to take the scroll from God and to open its content. And John, who had been brought up into heaven to witness this, wept bitterly until he was told that Jesus, the Lion, the Lamb of God, has triumphed. John saw Jesus symbolized as a lamb, looking as if it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, symbolizing complete wisdom and authority. This Jesus stood at the center of the heavenly court, together with God, surrounded by the four living creatures and then by the 24 elders, and then by thousands and thousands of angelic beings. And chapter 5 finishes with a renewed worship to God. And now, notice this, for this is important, and now also to Jesus the Lamb. The Lamb is now worshipped alongside the one and only God. Chapter 6 therefore unveils the judgment of God and, notice this again, the wrath of the Lamb. Have a closer look at uh, Revelation 6, verse 16, for example. You know, there the Lamb is mentioned as well, the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is now given the same authority and honor as the Creator God because of His sacrificial death for us and His resurrection from the dead. Six of the seven seals on the scroll were opened in chapter 6, unveiling the judgment of God and the Lamb. The first four seals unleash the infamous four apocalyptic horsemen, bringing war, death, famine, and pestilence, destroying up to a quarter of the population, plants, and animals on earth. On the other hand, the fifth seal revealed, interestingly, Christians who have been killed unjustly because of their faith and testimony in Jesus. 
And these Christians were comforted. They were given white robes and were told to wait further until the full number of persecuted Christians has been reached. It is quite clear then that Christians are still called to suffer and if needed, to sacrifice for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then the six seals unveil catastrophic destruction on earth with earthquake and destruction coming from the heavens. But sadly, at the end of chapter 6, instead of turning to God and to the Lamb in repentance, the rulers and the authorities of the earth and everyone else turn away from Jesus and hid from him. There is an urgent message that is needed for the world to hear today before it is too late. Turn to Jesus in repentance and faith before the great and final day of his judgment and wrath. Already six of the seven seals being opened reveal such judgment and destruction. The question could be asked at this point, what destruction awaits the opening of seal number seven? But instead of opening the seventh seal, chapter seven is an interlude between the sixth seal and the opening of the seventh. Here is the amazing comfort for God's people. In chapter seven, judgment has been paused until God's people are marked and sealed so that they will be identified and rescued from judgment. And so again, why would you not turn to Jesus in repentance and put your trust in Jesus when he alone has the power and authority to to save you? As it says in verse 10 of chapter 7, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I have three subheadings for you uh, for this sermon. Firstly, we are living in the end times, and therefore let us repent of our sins before it is too late. Second, God does not waste our suffering, so let us stand firm in our testimony for Jesus, even if it means losing our lives. And thirdly, God protects those who belong to Jesus. Heaven is our hope, our eternal home. And let's put our hope and trust in Jesus. Let's have a look at those in detail. We are living in end times. I mean, it certainly feels like it at the moment, doesn't it? Everywhere we turn, everyone is behaving as if the world is coming to an end. The impact of COVID-19 is keenly felt by everyone here in Australia. People are are unable to visit their loved ones in the nursing homes. Families are separated uh, with increasing travel restriction and ban. And God forbid, if you have an itchy nose and you feel like sneezing on the train or inside the elevator. I mean, now we all know what it's like to be an outcast in Jesus' time. Imagine if you are a leper in those days, you would have to shout unclean, unclean as you move in the street. Now it seems like everyone we meet on the street is potentially unclean. Jesus says to the leper, I'm willing to make you clean, not just the physical illness, but the spiritual ones as well. And Val, my wife and I were chatting about this recently. Everyone is thinking about COVID-19. And yet in Luke 19, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, another social outcast, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And so if you are stuck at home right now, feeling like an outcast, then Jesus is here for you. 
He's not affected by social distancing. He's not afraid of your physical illness. And he's, not a, he's definitely not afraid of your sinfulness. Uh, why not contact us here at Epping Presbyterian Church? Uh, we'd love to hear from you, pray with you, and tell you how Jesus can make a difference in your life. There is an urgent message that people in the world need to hear today. Repent and put your trust in Jesus. Don't do what the people did at the end of chapter 6 until it's too late. Have a look at 6, chapter, 5, uh, chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They're hiding from God and the Lamb because they were ashamed of their sinfulness and fearful of God's judgment. Now is the time to repent and turn to Jesus. Uh, so it does feel like there is a heightening of the sense that we are approaching the end times. However, it is important to remember that we have been living in the end times since Jesus resurrected from the dead more than 2,000 years ago. Uh, what we are seeing and experiencing now, it's not new. The point of living in the end times is not to be anxious about when the world is going to end, but to be vigilant and alert so that we are prepared when Jesus returns. No one knows when Jesus will return, so we have to be patient and watchful. Uh, secondly, as we come to this passage, we know that God does not waste our suffering. And so we need to stand firm in our witness for Jesus, even to the point of death. Uh, this Sunday at Epping Presbyterian Church, we want us to remember and stand with the brothers and sisters throughout the world who are being killed, raped, mutilated, humiliated, and marginalized because of their love for Jesus. Their stories are often untold, their voices unheard by secular press and authorities. But God hears them. Look at verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord? holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. One of the reasons why some people have difficulty with the Christian faith is the perceived vindictiveness of God. Why doesn't God just forgive? Why punish when he's so ready to forgive when we ask for forgiveness? I don't want to be rude, but I want to suggest that the, the reason uh, that the people who ask this question often have not really experienced real injustice and evil in this world. And I must confess that I include myself in this category. I can't even imagine what it must be like to be a Christian living in a persecuted country. When losing your job is considered a good thing because you could lose your life if you are a follower of Jesus. Verse 10 is about justice, not personal revenge. The martyrs, that is Christians who lose their life for Jesus, are not seeking personal revenge, but are asking God to vindicate them the way God vindicated Jesus by raising Jesus from death. You know, like the two thieves crucified on the cross with Jesus, they, we deserve our own death and punishment. But Jesus was a perfect man. He did not deserve to die. And so one of the thieves recognized that and turned to Jesus for salvation. That's what we should all be doing. And God raised Jesus after three days because Jesus did not deserve to die. 
God vindicated Jesus. The Christians who died in verse 9 and 10 were not perfect, but they died for their faith and testimony for Jesus, and they cried out to God to vindicate them. Uh, this week, I received a quote from uh, Dr. Ron Boyd McMillan from Open Doors International. And the quote says, you know, when we align ourselves with Christ, his enemies become our enemies and his enemy is evil. And so the question we need to ask is, how is the battle showing up in your life? Or are you compromising your faith so that you can hide under the radar of social criticism? Here's what you can do this week. Go to Open Doors Australia's website, read some of the stories there, and then pray for the Christians in persecuted countries. We're living in the end times. Christians will suffer, but God will vindicate us. And finally, God protects those who belong to Jesus. Heaven is our hope and eternal home. And let's put our hope and trust in Jesus. The Bible does not promise that if we follow Jesus, we won't suffer. I think it's quite the opposite. However, there is a promise that at the end of the suffering, there will be vindication from God. In the end, God claims us for himself as people who are worthy to belong to Jesus. That is what the seal on the head of the followers of Jesus is about in chapter 7. Uh, first of all, we are told that 144,000 from the tribes of Israel were sealed. Uh, there were 12 tribes who were considered descendants of Abraham, and God chose 12,000 from its tribe. Uh, and therefore, 12 times 12,000, we get 144,000. That seems like such a precise number, and so few in comparison to the population and generation of Israel. Uh, so much so that some claim, wrongly in my opinion, that in the end, God will only save 144,000 of his followers. Straight away, we know this cannot be the case because immediately in the next segment, uh, you know, in verse 9, John says, Look, after this I look, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And so, in the end, we're not really sure whether the 144,000 refers to Israelites or to Christians in general. Uh, Christians who are now considered children of Abraham because of Jesus. But that doesn't really change the main point, uh, which is these people were sealed with the name of Jesus and of the Father. Now, where did I get that information, you ask? Well, turn a few pages forward to Revelation chapter 14. Uh, let me read that for you. Uh, again, you see the 144,000 uh, number came up there. Then I looked. And there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. That's the seal. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like the harpies playing their harps, and they sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and elders. No one could learn the song except 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. I mean, from this description, they were Christians who made a great commitment to Jesus by being single. Um, 
And the most important point is found in the first in verse 1. They had Jesus' name and the Father's name written on their foreheads. In other words, they were sealed not just with the Holy Spirit, but also with the name of Jesus and the Father. They were claimed by God as belonging especially to the Lamb. Come back now to chapter 7. And you see that no matter what we think of the 144,000, the reality, the other reality is found from verse 9, where the great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe and people was standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The identity of these people were revealed uh, from verse 13. One of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God will not waste your tears and suffering for Jesus. One day you will be vindicated. One day he will claim you as a shepherd claims his sheep. I love this poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, who gave his life for Christ during Nazi Germany. This was a poem written not long before he was executed. Uh, you might find yourself today self-quarantined in a COVID prison, but Bonhoeffer was in a real prison. I want you to listen to the constant question he asked about his identity and his inner struggle with his faith, and then listen when he finally rests, uh, where he finally rests his confidence at the end of the poem. The poem is entitled, Who Am I? Who am I? They often tell me I come out of myself, myself calmly, cheerfully, resolutely, like a lord from his palace. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to the warders freely and friendly and clearly, as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I carried the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one who is used to winning. Am I really then what others say of me? Or am I only what I know of myself? Restless, melancholy, and ill, like a caged bird, struggling for breath as if hands clasped my throat, hungry for colours, for flowers, for the songs of birds, thirsty for friendly words and human kindness, shaking with anger at fate and at the smallest sickness, trembling for friends at infinite distance, tired and empty at praying, and think at thinking, at doing, drained and ready to say goodbye to it all. Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today or another tomorrow? Or am I both at once? in front of others a hypocrite, and to myself a contemptible, fretting weakling? Or is something still in me like a battle army running in disorder from a victory already achieved? 
Who am I? These lonely questions mock me. Whoever I am, you know me. I am yours, O oh God. See, Dietrich Bonhoeffer comes to my mind when I read, read Revelation chapter 7. In the end, it is not our claim to Jesus, but his claim on us that is important. Those who persevere in, in the tribulation will come out of it uh, with our sin washed with the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, and we will belong to him. Isn't that our hope for the future? There is an urgent message of hope that our friends, our neighbours need to hear. It's not that COVID-19 is now over. Yes, I believe that we will get on top of this virus eventually. It's not where we can purchase more hand sanitizer and face masks. It's that one day, Jesus will come back and claim us for himself. Now is the time to repent and put your trust in Jesus. One day it will be asked of us, are you worthy of the Lamb of God? Why don't you spend some time this week reflecting on the example of someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer? As we said in the beginning, the church is still open, even though we're not running our normal services. Come and chat with us. Send us an email or phone us. Our details are on the website, and you can also reach us on Facebook. The Lord bless you and keep you and stay close to Jesus, and I hope we will chat soon.